0: Down Syndrome Queensland are the peak body for intellectual disability in Queensland. We drive change, support inclusion and are on a quest for equality so that people with intellectual disabilities can take their rightful place as valuable members of the community. Down Syndrome Queensland also provides practical and emotional support, comfort and opportunities to people with intellectual disability, their families and support networks, particularly in regional areas. DSQ supports an inclusive environment for people with an intellectual disability which allows them to live their best lives. We believe it is important to respect the rights of parents to choose the development path that is best for their loved one. DSQ is here to support them along the way. To find out more about how you can help, to volunteer or to support the work of Down Syndrome Queensland, go to downsyndrome.org.au forward slash QLD. We acknowledge the First Nations people as the traditional custodians of the band we are on today. We acknowledge and pay respect to all elders, past, present and emerging. The so Now In The Future podcast is an exciting way of sharing members' stories of opportunities, challenges, and provide support and expert advice for Down syndrome community. Down syndrome, Queensland's vision is a support advocate for empower people of Down syndrome to take their rightful places as available and contributing members of their community, both now and into the future. Hello and welcome everyone to today's Now and the Future podcast episode. I'm Joel Wedd, the Lead Education Consultant for Down Syndrome Queensland and my role involves supporting teachers and educators to support students with Down Syndrome and intellectual disability in their most inclusive learning environment. In today's episode, I will be discussing five physical attributes to consider when making and learning adjustments for students who have Down syndrome. I would like to preface this episode to ensure that it is listened to in the way that it's intended. I'll start by letting you know that when a baby with Down syndrome is born, parents can often be given a long list of potential challenges, potential features and characteristics of their child, and potential impacts. And it isn't always a, a very pretty picture that's painted, nor is it always an accurate one. This lens of looking at disability is known as the medical model of disability, where it's deemed that the child is broken and therefore that they need to be fixed. And it's a model that focuses on deficits and it sees the person with the disability as the problem. An opposing and preferred model is the social model of disability, which describes a disability as a result Of the interaction between people living with the condition and their environment that is filled with barriers. The social model doesn't deny the reality of the condition, however, it does challenge all the environments surrounding the individual, including their physical environment, but also barriers in their environment such as people's attitudes and perceptions, um, communication methods and our social barriers. And it also focuses on ensuring that us, community, society, include and make adjustments for individuals with a condition or with a disability and, you know, that we see it as as a human right of people with a disability to be included. So from that preface, in today's episode, as I said, I will be discussing five physical attributes associated with Down syndrome. And the considerations when making adjustments for students with this condition. Now, as previously discussed in other podcasts, and if you've had a consultation with us, or if you have existing knowledge about Down syndrome, you will know that every individual who has Down syndrome is an individual with Down syndrome. So the physical characteristics that I'm going to be discussing today may or may not be applicable to your student. And as we always say in our consultations with you as schools, that you need to know about the disability, but you also need to know about the student. So what you may learn today, you need to apply and uncover and learn more about your student and always make adjustments in collaboration with the parents of that student. So the five physical attributes that I'm going to be looking at today are hypotonia, hearing, vision, smaller um, body structures, and the last one is kind of a physical, but I guess just also an attribute, executive function skills. Hypotonia is otherwise known as low muscle tone and it describes the amount of tension or resistance to movement in our muscles. Muscle tone contributes to control and speed and the amount of movements that we can achieve. And it's something that's quite commonly recognised in someone with Down syndrome. Again, I will state though that the levels of hypertonia will absolutely vary with every individual student that you have with Down syndrome. I've chosen hypertonia to talk about first because when we're consulting, I would say that this is one of the more common you know physical attributes that we talk to educators about. and we try and help um, brainstorm and think of strategies and ways to support a student's uh, level of hypertonia in the classroom. I think one thing to really remember with hypertonia is that when we're talking about you know the muscle tone, we're not only talking about the skeletal muscle, which is your, you know your voluntary muscle for movement, But we're also talking about your smooth muscle, which is involuntary muscles of, you know, say the digestive system. So people with hypertonia, and students with hypertonia can still have um, issues with digestion and things like constipation because of their low muscle tone. And coincidingly with low muscle tone is often hyperflexibility. So your student with Down syndrome may appear a little bit, you know, floppier in their posture, and perhaps even more flexible than their neurotypical peers. So what do we really need to think about in the classroom when we do have a student with Down syndrome that does have hypertonia? Well, we need to know that first and foremost, it is fatiguing to have low muscle tone. So a student with Down syndrome is going to fatigue a lot quicker than their peers. Um, they're not going to have the stamina of their peers, and that's going to affect things like the participation in class, um, their posture, and also their ability to undertake both fine and gross motor skill tasks. I often say to educators, if you think about muscle tone and stamina is the same as giving a student $100 for the day, most students with hypertonia, if they're not well supported, will have spent that $100 by morning tea time. When we speak with educators, we often talk about that after lunchtime slump, and that is usually happening because of their hypertonia and the amount of effort it's actually requiring that student with Down syndrome to recruit muscles and to move. So they're actually moving um, and using more effort for typical movements. And that's quite a contradiction, isn't it? Because often that stereotype is that people with Down syndrome are a little bit lazy um, or they might be looking really tired. But in actual fact, yep, they're probably tired because they're working twice as hard uh, as their neurotypical peers to have typical movement. So when we're in a classroom, we can think of things like supporting posture, whether that be even when we're sitting together at group time using things like a scoop chair, um, or a posture chair, so that is like a, a chair that has had the legs taken off it. Um, I know some schools that allow the student with Down syndrome just to sit towards, um, say, the like a bookcase They put their back up against a bookcase, and you'll often naturally see students that have low muscle tone trying to actually support their own posture themselves as well. You could also use things like a wedge cushion, Um, in the classroom and a sloping board or or by desks that slope to help with um, supporting posture and low muscle tone in the arms when writing. When we do look at handwriting in itself, that can take a really long time for someone with Down syndrome that has hypertonia because of the ability to be able to hold uh, their writing implement and have that accuracy and dexterity in their movements So we can look at things such as using whiteboards, which is going to require less strength and effort, and taking photos of things that are produced on the whiteboard instead of using a book. We can obviously use um, technology such as iPads where students can match and sort and drag and drop, and we can also teach students with Down syndrome to type. When we are using writing tools, it's really important to use thick, wide implements, You don't necessarily always have to use a pencil grip. You can even buy triangular shaped pencils that have an inbuilt sensory grip towards the tip of the pencil to help guide the student on where to hold the pencil. You can think about the way that your day is structured for a student with hypertonia so that things that require a bit more muscle strength, motor planning, coordination are planned for in the in the earlier parts of the day, and less demand as the day goes on. One other thing we have definitely noticed here in Brisbane is how many schools are built on hills here. So it's really important to have a look at your school map and how far the student is traveling per day, where their lessons might be, where their playgrounds might be, and how far the distance is in their transitions during the day, and what you can do, again, to help support that could you look at for next year's classroom that perhaps it's closer to the playground so there's less effort required over the course of the day for that student. Obviously, um, students themselves may wear things such as orthotics um, or SMOs within their shoes to help support their posture. Um, But, you know, those things are going to obviously be very individual to the student. One thing we often see is the use of wobble stools, Um, in Agile classrooms and classrooms that use flexible furniture. It's important to know for a student with Down syndrome that sometimes things like a wobble stool that's constantly moving is is actually requiring the student um, to have more physical demands on their body so it can actually not be as helpful. So it's a very fine balance. Then you need to find wobble stools that perhaps don't move as far. There are different types, some that are not as wobbly as others, some that have a more stable base. So these are the sorts of things that you can be thinking about during the day to um, support your students' level of hypertonia. The next consideration I have for you is hearing. So up to three quarters of people with Down syndrome can be affected by some sort of hearing loss. And it's important to know that there are two different types of hearing loss. And that hearing loss can significantly influence a student's speech and language development, as well as their learning and their overall well-being. It, of course, affects their listening skills and their communication skills, which then can cascade over into, you know, behaviour. Now, quite often, we know that behaviour is just communication. So, if we understand hearing and we can make appropriate adjustments around um, potential hearing loss, then that of course can uh, decrease those behaviours. And I guess to give you an example of that is um, teachers feeling like a student might be ignoring them or they might be perceived as being stubborn when actually there's a hearing loss and the student isn't being cued in in the first place by the educator, so they're actually unaware of what's being required of them. So within a classroom, the sorts of things that you can do to ensure that um, a student with Down syndrome is having, you know, as as much um, of their development supported as possible in regards to hearing is to use visuals. And it's a bit like if you were learning a new language. Um, And we've seen this in LOTE classes that we have been fortunate enough to observe where a teacher is teaching, say, Japanese, and the students are completely new to this language. So what does the teacher do? They use visuals. They use songs. They use repetition. They use things like colour to convey what, what the child needs to learn. And so that's a really good way to look at it for all students, but particularly for students who may have that hearing loss. When we talk about visuals, a lot of the time people resort or think of Straight away, a visual schedule, but we talk about being able to use visual supports within the concepts of what students are learning. So, using photos of things that um, the students may be learning about, um, and then also using photos of the day and procedures that the student may be part of every day. So, contextualising those visuals into photos so that it makes more sense for um, our students with Down syndrome. And, of course, anything that we are adjusting for for one student can, of course, be helpful for all students. With hearing, it's really important that um, we can be face-to-face with our students as much as possible. So, thinking about where our student with Down syndrome is seated uh, in the classroom, on the mat. Um, If the student does wear hearing aids, ensure that the student is wearing their hearing aids correctly. And we know that can be tricky and a, a bit of a process, but... Again, try and think of it as an ongoing goal um, if the student is not always complying with wishing to wear their hearing aids. Trying to reduce the noise within the environment is obviously really helpful for any student as well. So thinking about seating plans and ways of arranging your classroom to help with that ambient noise around the student. Many students who have a hearing loss have varying methods of um, preferred communication, and that might be assistive technology, it might be key sign, it might be the use of um, verbal language supported by visual. So it's important to for all educators around that student to know the student's preferred communication method. Um, if your classroom is able to, using a classroom FM system or a speaker system can be really, really helpful as well. And one other thing, just from my own classroom practice, particularly in the primaries, is being able to use um, cued articulation. So teaching cues for each um, sound that the students may be learning. You can cue them from across the classroom. You can use mirrors to help students ensure that they've got the correct mouth, lip and tongue placement, and they can learn about their breath being on or off. And that can really help, again, all students, but particularly students with Down syndrome that may have a hearing loss. Lastly, with hearing, I think it's really important to know that the reasoning around that, um, around the fact that many individuals with Down syndrome may have a hearing loss is due to the tiniest structures um, anatomically. So generally speaking, a lot of people with Down syndrome will have um, more narrower ear canals and they may, as young children, struggle with fluid um, coming and going in the middle ears, and which can lead to things like ear infections and grommets. Um, as students get a little bit older, as uh, anatomical structures get a little bit stronger and bigger, sometimes we can see those improvements in hearing as well. Vision is the next key feature that I'm going to be talking about. It's important to know that up to 50% of people with Down syndrome need to wear glasses and nearly all people with Down syndrome have reduced visual acuity, which is that clearness of their vision. So this is really important when you're in a classroom to think about the adjustments that you can be making to support a student with Down syndrome vision. And as we always say, when we make adjustments for one student, it can also help other students as well. All children, if you think about it, as we go through school... And as their reading progresses, the text in books and on worksheets always tends to get smaller. So because our students with Down syndrome can have that reduced visual acuity, that can just make reading and comprehension and worksheet tasks just even more challenging. So, of course, that will lead on to other um, challenges, such as a student being disengaged, unsure about the task or not being able to complete the task. So we can really look um, at these adjustments around making things larger, um, using less clutter on worksheets if we are kind of using a worksheet or a poster, um, make things bold and easy to see, enlarged font, uh, enlarged um, everything really, (laughs) anything that you can enlarge, try and enlarge. And this is also where we often think about worksheets, but, you know, there's nothing better than co-creating those things with your students or getting the students to co-create things in groups. So sometimes getting students to actually make some really big, large brainstorming and poster type um, resources together will make that really accessible for a student with Down syndrome. Of course, it's super important to think about where the student is in relation to the content that's being taught. So whether that's off, you know, a board from a teacher or, um, you know, perhaps using some manipulatives on the ground. You know, do they need to move closer? Do they need to be at a different focal point? So just always having a think about their learning environment. It's also important to check glare. Um, Make sure that there's enough light sources for your student, but also make sure that there's no glare reflecting off screens or books or whiteboards or anything like that as well. If students are learning from whiteboards or interactive whiteboards, being able to copy information from the board is really taxing and demanding. So being able to have that same um, information presented to that student visually, um, a printed version on their desk or with a partner is really helpful as well. If your student wears glasses, ensure that their glasses are clean and where where appropriate to try and support the student to have them on their face directly and correctly. If you're thinking about the wider learning environment around your schools, it can be really helpful to have some visibility tape or even some spray paints and yellow lines around things such as stairs, um, and accessible areas across the school because uh, students with Down syndrome may have challenges around that depth perception as well. We want to be able to create a really successful learning environment for all of our students. And so I think vision is something that, um, like I said, it's it's uh, important for that student with Down syndrome, but it will be so important for many other students as well and I know for myself when I read things that are less cluttered that have um, larger texts I myself find things easier to read and I'm pretty notorious for putting things into bold and colour coding things when I'm learning as well. So being able to kind of introduce those concepts through the student's learning journey when they're young can help them um, to make their own adjustments as they get older knowing how to Um, use bold and colour um, when using technology, or being able to highlight with a highlighter on worksheets themselves as they get a little bit older. Often people with Down syndrome are shorter in stature and therefore they have smaller body structures than um, the neurotypical peers. So quite often when we go to observe a little one or an, old, even an older one in the learning environment, we will see that the student is generally a little bit shorter, a little bit smaller um, than the rest of their peers in their class. However, again, there are, of course, exceptions to the rule and we are seeing also some students who are very close um, and even at times matching physical um, stature of their peers. So this, again, is speaking for adjustments for educators to be thinking about when that student has got those smaller um, bodily structures. And one thing I think, well, one thing I will start with is hands. So people with Down syndrome can have slightly shortened uh, fingers and some people with Down syndrome have a noticeably shorter pinky finger with a slight curve on their finger So straight away, that's going to need some adjustments around the fine motor skills, adaptive behaviours and self-help skills within the classroom. So we need to think about, again, the sorts of writing implements that we might be using, making um, pencil, you know, buying and using pencils that are a bit thicker, a bit wider, paintbrushes that are a bit wider, Um, thinking about where the student's bag may be placed on the bag rack, uh, if they're using a locker... Have they got the fine motor skills? Uh, Is their hand able to unlock, you know, a, a locker with a pin or perhaps they might need a key? So having a look through those kind of daily organisational skills for the student and trying to support that the best that you can. Now, obviously, this can even impact things like turning pages of a book. So we might introduce paired reading, having peers helping to turn pages, taking turns to turn a page. Um, It can also impact on being able to place pressure um, on things such as, uh, again, drawing, but also keyboards and iPads. So trying to encourage students with Down syndrome to use their pointer fingers, because quite often they will use their middle finger or their thumb when they're using an iPad. Try and get that isolation of the pointer finger where you can to help build up that fine motor strength but knowing, again, due to perhaps having the smaller hand structures, that these things will take time. If you do have a a little one with Down syndrome in your class that is noticeably shorter um, and smaller than their peers, thinking about their desk, if they're sitting at desks um, and traditional seating arrangements, can their feet perhaps be supported with a little stool Uh, Does it need to be an adjustable desk, a particular type of chair? And, you know, I'm really conscious of not stigmatising the child with Down syndrome or any disability in the classroom, so it's why I am uh, a fan of agile classrooms and flexible furniture, being able to introduce some different um, seating ways. And if you haven't looked into flexible furniture and agile classrooms, it's great to go and have a bit of a Google around that. There's some schools doing some wonderful things in that area And, you know, it's about adapting the learning environment to suit the student's needs. So rather than just have one sloping board for one student, trying to find a few desks that um, are adjustable in height or are able to be sloped so that more students can use that adjustment. And same with seating, being able to have some, um, you know, higher seats and lower seats or some desks that are stand-in desks to allow all students' um, ways to meet their physical needs. And like I will continue to say in this podcast, the more we adjust for one person with a disability, it's that universal design where we um, see the benefits for all as well when we start to make these adjustments in our classrooms. The final area that I'm going to be discussing is executive functioning. And executive functioning is something that I have found extremely helpful to learn more about when supporting students with a disability. Um, EF is an overarching term that we use to describe a set of cognitive processes that help us to just to be able to get through our everyday life. So to learn, to work, to manage our daily life and I often joke about in consults, it's a little bit like having a personal assistant sitting on your shoulder. It's that, you know, that kind of inner voice and the inner thinking that helps you to direct you through tasks, um, helps you to organise, helps you to stay emotionally regulated um, and, you know, and to plan yourself and your time. And it's also, you know, that your working memory is part of your executive functioning as well. So it's a really important area to look at when we're um, looking at discussing adjustments for students with disability, as it is an area that, you know, impacts or influences across every part of the school day. So generally speaking, there are eight executive functions and I'm going to read them to you. So self-control, self-monitor, emotional control, flexibility, task initiation, organisation, working memory, planning and time management. So as you can see, that's, you know, a really broad set of skills. But if you think about everything from a a student starting their day at school and getting themselves organised for lessons, um, transitioning through activities and tasks throughout the day and transitioning to and from lunch times, all the way through to the end of the day, they are relying on their EF all the time. So it's really important to try and support all of those areas for our students with a disability, particularly with Down syndrome, and to, you know, encourage and de- develop habits that can support them throughout their schooling life as well. And this is where I think as educators, and I am an educator myself, that we need to walk that fine balance of being able to support someone's EF skills without um, creating a sense of learned helplessness for the students. So we talk about stepping in and supporting and then stepping away or creating those incremental periods of independence. So being able to support students when they need it, but ensuring that we're not doing things for our students that they can do for themselves. So it's, you know, we also joke about having your joggers on, you know, if you're supporting a student with a disability as any other student, you know, you need to be moving away as much as you can and stepping back in when needed. So that physical proximity is something to think about. Um, Obviously, this is where... Uh, strategies and adjustments such as using visuals, particularly in the areas of lists, being able to tick things off or slide things or move them to another side to help kind of learn to sequence tasks is really important. Um, And, you know, building in those strategies around structures and routines and timetables so that you as the educator are providing that organisation and then that student is learning um, how to, you know, keep track of their day and the items that they might need for each part of their day and also the items that they need to initiate a task. Um, obviously, with executive function, there is the EF skill of self-control and that can be broader and, and emotional control. So that can be talked more broadly around um, emotional regulation. And for students with a disability, I think it's important to think about the term co-regulation that a lot of adults still struggle with emotional regulation themselves, and they often don't um, self-regulate, we often require someone to help us regulate. And that's the same for students with a disability, is to come alongside of them and coach them through their emotional regulation skills. Um, the, the frontal lobe is the part of the brain that's, uh, that's working for our executive function skills. And so it's you know important to think about that that's you know the impulse control and things are also uh, coming into play there. So when we have a student with an intellectual disability, obviously we need to be thinking about adjustments that are developmentally appropriate and also perhaps accepting some of those things that are still going to take time to, to develop, such as impulse control and organisation and self-regulation. So, you know, being mindful of our expectations, not having unrealistic expectations, still having high expectations for our student, but obviously knowing um, how to best effectively support them according to developmentally, you know, where they're sitting. Um, You can't teach executive function in abstract ways. You know, you really need to be very explicit and to model where possible executive function skills and teachers are are pretty good at this you know we tend to talk aloud we talk um through sequences of what we're doing or why we're doing this oh you know we need to get this for for this task oh perhaps i shouldn't start there for this task you know when we're modeling all the time um we can also use peers again to help self-model those EF skills and you know our, our classroom organization the way that our our actual classroom learning environment is set up, are things labelled, are things easy to find, do things have a place, are there systems um, supporting all of our students in our classroom so that, you know, you are teaching the EF skills throughout your day. Um, I do think that high school often becomes just a test of EF skills really, Um, the amount of transitioning And obviously every time, you know, we're transitioning, we're starting new tasks again. So the transitioning and task initiation and time management is huge for students in secondary. So if you do have a student with Down syndrome in in your secondary setting, to think about times that you can spend together as a team, all the teachers around that student to ensure that the EF skills are really similar. So it might be, um, you know, the way that students enter classrooms or the belongings that they need to take from class to class or that there's the same kind of um, checklist that's used or colour coding that's used across all classes to help um, take off some of that EF load of the student and also just to provide them with consistency from classroom to classroom and as we like to say you know students with Down syndrome they're not deliberately forgetting things or they're not deliberately you know not being organized it's just that those skills are not inherently there um, and we need to be our students guides and be aware of of you know yes our students with Down syndrome need support within the content and um, you know the actual curriculum modification but they do also need support around that executive function the daily running of their day um, so You know, don't be afraid as a team to really share what's working for your student, um, share those strategies so that, again, those things are consistent for the student and they can help them uh, from class to class, but also from year level to year level. I hope that you have found this podcast episode helpful. It's important, as I said, to have an understanding of some of the physical attributes or features of Down syndrome so that you can ensure that you're making the correct educational adjustments for your students with this diagnosis in order for them to be equitably included. My name is Joel Wedd and I'm the Lead Education Consultant for Down Syndrome Queensland. And if you'd like more information about our education services, you can contact us at education at downsyndromeqld.org.au or you can give us a call on 7 335 At the Now and the Future podcast, we would love to hear your thoughts and questions as a way of continuing to provide essential information to the community. If you have a question, Would like any more information on any of our episodes or have suggestions for future episodes simply send us an email at engagement at downsyndromeqld.org.au that's engagement at downsyndromeqld.org.au and we will do our best to provide you with the information required in one of our upcoming episodes. The Now and the Future podcast aims to support, advocate for, and empower people with Down syndrome, both now and into the future. You have been listening to the Now and the Future podcast for more information about this episode and many other topics related to Down syndrome. Please visit the Down syndrome Queensland website at Down syndrome.com. Down Syndrome Queensland supporting people with Down Syndrome now and into their future.